0: Section 16 of Heroines of Fiction by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thackeray's bad heroines. With Hawthorne, there was a return after a whole generation to a conception of entire womanhood in fiction. His Zenobia and Hester Prynne are really women and this cannot be unqualifiedly said of scots or bulwer's or dickens's women at the most it can be said that these novelists caught certain feminine traits and personified them but femininity never posed for them in the ensemble if upon a theory i have before advanced this fact is to judge them and class them as inferior imaginations in spite of certain prime powers which cannot be denied them i am unable to intervene in their behalf i must still believe that novelists are great in proportion to the accuracy and fulness with which they portray women but what really embarrasses me is that i have claimed this pre-eminence hitherto for the realists only and hawthorne can scarcely be counted a realist he was at least however not a romanticist but a romancer pure and simple standing electly aloof from both the antagonistic schools and breathing a finer ether than our common air in a region as different as poetry from our everyday world in this environment he conceived of two women natures grandly permanent and of one subordinate woman nature Who resembles these and certain others who resemble one another they are all alike in menacing withdrawal into the ideal from moment to moment and the true restorer of the great age of heroism is a novelist whose women never threaten thus to abandon the light of open day thackeray i take to have been an author whose native bent was towards reality in fiction but he lived in a literary time when it was all but impossible for one to be directly true one must somehow bring the truth in circuitously apologetically almost shamefacedly a direct rendering of life was then supposed to be wanting in imagination and though thackeray despised and mocked the false in fiction as much as any man who ever lived he could not help being a man of his time he put on a fine literary air of being above his business he talked of fiction as fable-land when he ought to have known it and proclaimed it the very home of truth where alone we can see men through all their disguises he formed the vicious habit of spoiling the illusion or clouding the clear air of his art by the intrusion of his own personality and in fine he showed himself in spite of his right instincts a survival of the romanticistic period whose traces in others especially bulwer and Disraeli, he knew how so deliciously to burlesque i shall affront some of those who like thackeray most but not most wisely by saying that he came short of his great possibilities by his willingness to dawdle and shall i say twaddle over his scene when it was strictly his affair to represent it and by his preference of caricature to character and sentimentality to sentiment all the same he was a great talent and the ever womanly knew his ultimate truth so well that she revealed herself to him as she had not to any other english novelist since jane austen's time it is to be distinguished though that she did not fully show herself at her best to him her best indeed she gave him glimpses of but it was her worst that she fully imparted trusting him to render it again so that it should not seem so very very bad after all thackeray's bad heroines are truer than his good ones these he was apt to make a little too good whereas with that tenderness which the ever womanly expected of him he let us like his bad ones almost as much some people like them even more and it cannot be denied that becky sharp and blanche amory and beatrix esmond are at least more amusing than amelia sedley and laura pendennis and lady castlewood in fact these virtuous ladies show rather factitious in the baleful light of those wicked ones two i suppose the primacy among thackeray's women good bad and indifferent would be awarded to becky sharp by nine-tenths of his critics and one cannot deny her a high degree of wicked perfection she had the advantage of coming earliest among his leading heroines for though katherine hayes preceded becky sharp she was too clearly a satire upon a certain sort of criminal heroines to survive as a personality but becky sharp had just that blend of good and bad which convinces of reality in a creation she was selfish and cruel but she had her moments of generosity when she was willing to do a good action which could not disadvantage her and she was with all her wickedness ostensibly kept within those limits of decency dear to anglo-saxon fiction which the franker history of catherine transcends she ran her course largely in good society and bad people in good society are somehow more memorable she has the help of circumstance though without adventitious aid becky sharp would still be a great figure she is great almost in spite of her inventor who had such a boyish delight in having found out a character that he could not forbear nudging the reader and even shouting his satisfaction into the reader's ear lest he should fail of some point of the discovery in the retrospect however this want of taste which was want of art ceases to affect the result and any one who knows his vanity fair sees becky sharp as the author imagined her and as she shows herself in the drama and does not see thackeray at all the great moments of her history present themselves in successive tableaux and becky flinging miss pinkerton's parting gift back into the garden as she leaves miss pinkerton's school becky in her manifold flirtations with joseph sedley and george osborne and rawdon crawley becky making her way into the esteem of sir pitt crawley after her marriage with his brother becky's first appearance in high society cruelly ignored by the women and at last mercifully recognized by her unwilling hostess the marchioness of steyne becky surprised by her husband and the marquis of steyne's company at her own house becky in the shabby hotel at ostend courted as an engel englanderin by those raffish german admirers of hers becky doing the good angel when she tells the stupid constant amelia that george osborne had made love to her and asked her to fly with him and so renders it possible for the widow to renounce her allegiance to the memory of her false husband and marry the faithful major Dobbin. these are scenes which remain from any reading of the book and have the property of keeping the mind like facts of one's experience in becky's admirably naughty presence beatrix esmond shows thin and factitious and blanche amory dwindles to the measure of her literary affectations becky sharp is indeed of that ideal perfection which we find nowhere outside of nature if thackeray had done nothing else she must have immortalized him and he did a multitude of figures all so much better than his method of doing them that one hesitates whether to wonder more at means so false or results so true this greatest creation of his is first of all so tempered that she cannot even illogically arrive at any other end than she reaches though she sometimes stands at the parting of the ways and now and then advances a little in the right way she is destined to make others her prey not because she is stronger but because she is weaker she might be willing to be good if she thought goodness would avail and she is at her worst because certain things are left out of her rather than because she has done certain things she has defects of nature she is incapable either of passion or affection she loves neither her husband nor her son and these defects are imputed to her for evil but they hardly constitute guilt her guilt is in telling and acting lies but she tells them and acts them because she is weak and has no other means of offence or defence that seem to her so effectual she is not incapable of gratitude and when she can with safety do others a good turn she sometimes does it she would probably always do it rather than an ill turn thackeray's hand is heavy throughout vanity fair which is prentice work compared with pendennis and the newcomes and he exults in becky's decline and fall as perhaps he might not in a maturer work he is boisterously sarcastic at her expense as if she were responsible for the defects of her nature and must be punished for her sins as well as by them his morality regarding her is the old conventional morality which we are now a little ashamed of but in his time and place he could scarcely have any other after all he was a simple soul and strictly of his epoch a later and subtler time must do finer justice to a woman badly born and reared in dependence and repression liberated from school to a world where she must fight her own way taught the evil consciousness of the fascination which she had but which she never felt from him married to a reprobate aristocrat not her superior in nature and distinctly her inferior in mind tempted by ambition and spurred by necessity the greater since she had her husband as well as herself to care for she was predestined to the course she ran and she could not have run any other Made as she was so clever so pretty so graceful so unprincipled Three, it is difficult to know what may be the lesson of a character so evilly conditioned that its evil was inevitable but possibly it may be to move the spectator less to justice than to mercy to this effect becky sharp seems to come in spite of her creator whom we may safely leave to his mistaken severities with her while we rejoice in the aesthetic side of his performance so altogether better than the ethical his art is quite unerring in result though it is mostly as i think so bad in process there are a hundred proofs of thackeray's greatness in the story whenever he deals with rebecca sharp he is great but at which moment he is greatest i could not well say the obvious climax of course comes when becky having made her way into society under the patronage of lord stane and preyed upon his purse to the common advantage of her husband and herself has her husband still in their joint interests shut up for debt, while she is receiving lord stane at her own house rawdon crawley getting out of prison unexpectedly comes home he took out his door-key and let himself into his house he could hear laughter in the upper rooms he was in the ball-dress in which he had been captured the night before he went silently up the stairs leaning against the banisters at the stair-head becky was singing a snatch of the song of the night before a hoarse voice shouted brava brava it was lord stane rodden opened the door and went in a little table with a dinner was laid out and wine and plate stain was hanging over the sofa on which becky sat the wretched woman was in a brilliant full toilette her arms and all her fingers sparkling with bracelets and rings and the brilliance on her breast that stain had given her he had her hand in his and was bowing over it to kiss it when becky started up with a faint scream as she caught sight of rawdon's white face there was that in rawdon's face which caused becky to fling herself before him i am innocent rawdon she said before god i am innocent she clung hold of his coat of his hands her own were all covered with serpents and rings and baubles i am innocent say i am innocent she said to lord stane he thought a trap had been laid for him and was as furious with the wife as with the husband you innocent damn you he screamed out you innocent you're as innocent as your mother the ballet dancer and your husband the bully make way sir and let me pass and lord stane seized up his hat and with flame in his eyes and looking his enemy fiercely in the face marched upon him but rawdon crawley springing out seized him by the neckcloth until stain almost strangled writhed and bent under his arm you lie you dog said rawdon you lie you coward and villain and he struck the peer twice over the face with his open hand and flung him bleeding to the ground it was all done before rebecca could interpose she stood there trembling before him she admired her husband strong brave victorious come here he said she came up at once take off those things she began trembling pulling the jewels from her arms and the rings from her shaking fingers and held them up all in a heap looking at him throw them down he said and she dropped them he tore the diamond ornament out of her breast and flung it at lord stane it cut him on his bald forehead come upstairs rawdon said to his wife don't kill me rawdon she said he laughed savagely i want to see if that man lies about the money as he has about me has he given you any no said rebecca that is give me your keys rawdon answered and they went out together rawdon flung open boxes and wardrobes throwing the multifarious trumpery of their contents here and there and at last he found the desk it contained a pocket-book with bank-notes and one was quite a fresh one a note for a thousand pounds which lord steyne had given her did he give you this rawdon said yes rebecca answered i'll send it to him to-day and he left her without another word left her and the reader is left with the impression that this blackguard who had as literally lived upon his wife as if all that lord steyne said were true is somehow better than she but he is not and in this case as in most others of the kind the injured husband who poses so finely as the defender of marriage and the avenger of his own honour has had more agency in his own ignominy than the world will ever own It is a false and wrong touch in the scene but still it is a very great scene and managed very quietly very intensely it implicates pretty nearly all there is of poor becky past present and future without any apparent interference of the authors for once he is not on the stage and he does not even come in with an epilogue at least for the time being he could not often hold his hand when he painted a saint he wanted to paint saint all over the halo and when he did a devil he thought it well to tag his foretail with a label proclaiming his demoniacal quality but in this great instance he trusts the meaning of becky sharp to the spectator's intelligence with scarcely the waste of a word for there are half a dozen passages in becky's history almost as good but not one in the history of beatrix esmond which approaches this in power to be sure she is never directly seen but always through the eyes of that intolerable prig henry esmond which are fixed mainly upon his own perfections even if she had been directly seen however i doubt if there would have been much real drama in her though plenty of theatre several coups de theatre there are in her career and chiefly that when esmond and her brother find her at castlewood with the young pretender and prevent her for the time from giving her worthlessness to his worthlessness if one reads the story in cold blood it is hard to believe in it at all it is at every moment so palpably and visibly fabricated and perhaps beatrix is no more a doll than those other eighteenth-century marionettes but compared with becky sharp a doll she certainly is it is only in her avatar of madame bernstein in the virginians that she begins to persuade you she is at best anything more than a nineteenth-century actress made up for her part she suffers of course from the self-parade of esmond and has not poor girl half a chance to show herself for what she is her honest selfish worldliness is however more interesting than her mother's much manipulated virtues but it is to be remembered in behalf of lady castlewood that beatrix has at no turn of her career such a false part to play as that of a woman who falls in love with a boy and then promotes his passion for her daughter and at last takes him herself when her daughter will not indeed i do not know why she should be so much blamed for her heartlessness people cannot go and have heart unless nature has provided them the means and after all the heartlessness of beatrix is shown chiefly in her not loving mr esmond who is not an unprejudiced witness the solemn scolding he gives her when he breaks the duke of hamilton's death to her seems to me quite preposterous but then he is at all times preposterous when he interferes in her intrigue with the steward whom he is helping put on the english throne it is no wonder she hates him mischief for mischief hers is far the less esmond it will be remembered scolds the prince in much the same temper that he has scolded beatrix for running down into the country after her when he ought to have been waiting queen anne's death in london he burns up the patent of marquis which the Stuarts had given his father and once more renounces his right to the title of castlewood he does it half a dozen times in all and then the prince gives him and lord castlewood the satisfaction of a gentleman for his pursuit of their sister and cousin by crossing swords with them the talk was scarce over when beatrix entered the room what came she there to seek she started and turned pale at the sight of her brother and kinsman charming beatrix said the prince with a blush that became him very well these lords have come a horseback from london where my sister lies in a despaired state and where her successor makes himself desired mademoiselle may we take your coach for town will it please the king to breakfast before he goes was all beatrix could say the roses had shuddered out of her cheeks her eyes were glaring she looked quite old she came up to esmond and hissed out a word or two if i did not love you before cousin says she think how i love you now if words could stab no doubt she would have killed Esmond." she looked at him as if she could but her keen words gave no wound to mr esmond his heart was hard and as he looked at her he wondered that he could ever have loved her this i will confess seems to me great rubbish of the true historical romance sort the mouthing and the posing and all and of the whole group it is beatrix alone who seems natural but doubtless one ought not to praise her and i will allow that she is preferable only to the good people of the story v i am rather glad however to get away from her to blanche amory who is a flirt of as modern make as poor becky sharp herself but of lighter weight and a lamb that is whitey-brown where becky is blackest of course by modern i mean modern of the second quarter not the fourth quarter of our century of the time when young ladies of fashion wished to be thought literary as now they wish to be thought athletic and a little while ago wished to be thought artistic blanche amory whose first name was really betsy wrote verses in both english and french she sang and played and drew and danced divinely and she looked the part she had fair hair with green reflections in it but she had dark eyebrows she had long black eyelashes which veiled beautiful brown eyes she had such a slim waist that it was a wonder to behold and such slim little feet that you would have thought the grass would scarcely bend under them she was always smiling and a smile not only showed her teeth wonderfully but likewise exhibited two lovely little pink dimples that nestled in either cheek of course a young lady so equipped by nature and art to take the hearts of men boxed her brother's ears in private and mocked herself of her fat old good-natured mother and made all the trouble she could for her reprobate stepfather her real father is even more reprobate being an ex-convict and homicide who lives upon his wife's second husband by the threat of turning up and claiming his own when he finally does so his daughter has run through her two great flirtations with pendennis and harry and is in a position to be married to a soi-disant french nobleman and to shine as a salaniere in the paris of the citizen king she is a cat and a minx but not so much of either that the spectator cannot enjoy her gambols and it may be said in her behalf that she is no worse behaved however badly natured than pendennis a case might be made out for her but not by her the trouble is not so much that she is malevolent as that she is mendacious but still she is mischievous and likes to stick pins into people for the pleasure of seeing them wince the worst of it all is that thackeray cannot let her alone he must keep satirizing her and making a parade of her pretty wickedness instead of allowing it to show itself in what the poor thing does and says he must wink at the reader and whisper him the open secret of her affectation and malice she is by no means a lady villain such as some lady novelists acquainted us with later it is doubtful whether she is very black-hearted or would have done any very dark deed she wishes to be amused and she wishes to be married to make a figure in the great world where so many love to shine she is really very clever and as we have seen very pretty with half the expenditure of force she might be much more effective, even in the direction of her ambition if she would be a little honester but that is not in the flirt nature which in her thackeray recognized first and all the importance it has kept since in fiction End of section 16.